Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to Secure the Insecure, hosted by Johnny Seifert. This is the podcast where I say it's okay to not be okay. And if you have the same mantra as me, then before we get to today's guest... Please subscribe to Security and Secure whilst you're listening. And at the end of the episode, leave a five-star rating and a review. Now, let me tell you about my guest today. My guest today is a hairdresser turned reality star who you will know from Mad at First Sight UK, where she was married to Matt lasting two weeks in the experiment. However, today she joins me on Security Institute for a very different conversation as she opens up for the first time about her sobriety journey. And in this interview, you'll hear about alcohol addiction. So if you're triggered by what you hear and you can resonate, either listen to a different episode or visit talktofrank.com. It's just important that you go and seek the help if you need it. So talktofrank.com is an amazing website. It's got loads of advice on there for you. But without further ado, I'm delighted to welcome to Sakinisica, Gemma Rose Barnes. Hello, Gemma. Hello, Johnny. Well, how are you feeling right now? Yeah, you know, really good, really positive. Thank you for asking me to come and speak to you today. 
But also, after the year you've had, obviously doing Married at First Sight and then everything that yeah. happened afterwards, I was a bit worried about you because you've been through so much in the past year of filming the show, everything that you went to on the show, then the reaction from the audience to the show, and then obviously now this has come out. There's a lot for you to kind of compartmentalise and just come up to breathe. Of course. No, I completely agree. And I do think when I sort of think back about it all, my drinking definitely did not contribute towards any healthy state of mind or help maintain some sort of positivity in my mental health. Well, let's go back to the beginning, Gemma. Let's go back to your childhood so we can really understand the shoes that you've walked in and understand the journey you've been on what was your childhood like it was a different time in in the 90s and the early noughties you know it didn't become illegal for parents to hit their children until i was about seven or eight i can remember that conversation being had and being told by your parents to make sure hit her where they can't see it 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 was just a different completely different time and age and that was very much we were expected as children to do a lot of housework whilst other children would be playing outside and and it it wasn't a nice time unfortunately my mother didn't bond with her children as as she told me when i got older and now i can sympathize and understand that she was under a lot of pressure and i just feel very blessed that i love my children so much what did that do to you? Because obviously that's the compensation side of you're going to give your kids extra love, but what did that do to you growing up mentally, that fact that your mother wasn't so attached to you and yet that was the one person you were looking to for almost acceptance? I think it made me need love and affection. I think it made me um, crave, possibly in the wrong places, crave that affection and that, that want from somebody else because I never had it from a, a parent figure or from anyone growing up. I can remember my mother saying, you know, all she ever wants is, is a hug. And I can really remember that. It really resonates with me. That was all I ever wanted. I just wanted to have that affection and not feel like an inconvenience. So then what happens when you get to school and you're teenagers? How did the gemma of wanting that need, wanting that hug change as a person as you're around guys and just around your peers, you were being able to look at and go, well, I can see you're from a loving home and I can see you're from a loving home and yet I don't feel that love that you've all got. I think I was always a little bit jealous of other children because it's quite easy to be materialistic as a child and notice those things that other people have got. Like, oh, she, her mum's bought her that new animal bag or something. And that was the trend when I was a teenager and save my birthday vouchers and go and buy it. And, and then the new one would come out and we didn't have luxuries like that. But I just felt like, oh, their mum must really love them to have taken them shopping to get it. I could just imagine that their mum took them out and did nice things with them and we just did we just didn't have that believe it or not i was actually a very quiet shy child in school i was actually very withdrawn from social settings and being around people uh, and it's sort of obviously that changed as i got older and i grew confidence with being a hairdresser which is obviously a very talkative job and you learn a lot about people just definitely seeing other children and hearing about the things that they did on the weekend with their mums and dads not having a mother that was present myself it, it was difficult to comprehend so where does the alcohol come into it i think alcohol for me was always a weekend thing a binge drink here and there and it was you didn't really suffer from hangovers it was the culture to sort of pre-drink and drink all day and go out all night and i think that when as you get older and you start to have difficult times you think about those easy times pre-children perhaps and pre-problems you just want to go back to that mental place so you start partying probably older than you should and it becomes more of a toxic environment which is what it definitely became for me i think when your life becomes unmanageable and chaotic you know you're drinking too much it's difficult to say because if i was to label it it's almost like someone else would think well i'm only drinking half a bottle of wine every night but i i would i did think i had a problem until i heard that 
And that's like the problem with, with addiction. We lie to ourselves and we can tell ourselves that, well, my addiction isn't as bad as yours. So I'm not as addicted. I'm not a problem. I was drinking a lot and, and, and it wasn't healthy. And it was becoming like a, not today, not today. And then, you know, every evening I was, and I was, I was drinking like a bottle or two of wine. But you just can't judge someone's consumption on how much that's affecting them mentally. Because some people have a fantastic relationship with alcohol and they drink a lot. That's fantastic if that works for you. But it doesn't work for me and it doesn't work for many others. So what happened? You know, you're going about your day. And we'll come to obviously the triggers of it. But the effects were that every day you were having a bottle or two of wine every evening. And yet you're having to pay for those bottles of wine. So obviously you're having to go out and get them. And you know that's not a bottle of water. And yet mentally it's, I need that bottle of wine. It's not a, it's not a want, it's a need. I suppose you convince yourself that it's a want. It's not really, it doesn't really cross your mind until it does become something that's affecting your life. I think for me, the problem with alcohol is it's so sociably acceptable. It's in every single shop. You know, there's offers constantly for very big bottles of spirit. Like, and it's, no one would blink an eye, like bat an eyelid if you went and bought that. There's no one saying alcohol's a drug and alcohol is a drug. It's such a taboo subject because no matter how many people say they have a problem, and if you don't, that's fantastic. I'm allergic to that lifestyle. And there are other people that also are that they're around people that go, oh, don't be a wimp, have another drink. Or, you know, you're at, there's no other addiction where you have to explain why you don't do it. And mm. with alcohol, you have to explain, you have to defend yourself why you don't drink. How are you finding that lifestyle now, being around alcohol? Obviously, you're in the showbiz world now as a reality star. There's always alcohol in all these places. And yet you're saying no to it. And even if you do want it, you know it's not good for you. And so you're having to almost have that argument with yourself each time of do I do it, do I not do it? Yeah, no, I'm I'm quite lucky in the fact that um, as soon as I made that decision to go sober, I haven't actually thought about having a drink once. There's been these moments, these like few seconds of like, oh my God, what if I wanted one? How would I deal with that? It's not to say that that's a one. In terms of events, I'll be honest with you, I haven't actually been to one event. I've been invited to lots, but it would take me away from my children and my job. And I did this show once and I went really honestly to find somebody and that didn't work out. So I have absolutely no interest in using my platform for anything other than talking about real issues. I have no interest in going to parties or premieres or whatever, whatever else. And I, and I take my hat off to the girls, but I have two children on my own and a business. I just couldn't imagine a weekend away from them, to be honest. No, I completely see that. So, let, so let's go back a step then. What were the triggers for you, do you think, that turned to a drink? I think as your tolerance gets stronger to alcohol and you're drinking more, that's probably the trigger because... Then you start to think, well, there's nothing wrong with a couple of margaritas after work. And again, that's fine if that's fine for you, but that's not fine for me. And, and I think it got to a stage where as your tolerance builds, you're drinking more. So that all in turn does become a problem. The health concerns of drinking excessively is, is very concerning. I think the trigger for me is just having a bad day and thinking, I'll have a glass of wine. Or having a good day and thinking, I deserve a glass of wine. And so what have you replaced that with now? I'm actually reading a lot. I'm breaking away from my routine. We've just moved into a new place, my children and I. We've moved to a little seaside town, not very far away from where we were, so close to work. But just breaking away from my routine. And one thing that I can say to anyone that's suffering with addiction is geography won't take you away from your addiction. You have to be work programs that are available anyone can search 12-step program and find anything near them whether that be online or in person yeah working those steps and changing my mindset and finding different powers which for me is being in nature 
reading, art and music and just concentrating on those things that make me happy. It's just working on yourself and getting to the deep called reasons of why you are the way you are. I spoke to the psychiatrists on uh, Married at First Sight when I was being interviewed and I was interviewed for six months so I was cast six months before my wedding. I was one of the first people chosen and we went through this whole process and we had these counsellors and psychiatrists and she said you're suffering from trauma from your childhood and I said do you think that this is a good option for me doing this show? Do you not think that this sounds like a bad idea? She was like no, no, no and I said well I'd put everything in a box and it doesn't sound that healthy does it? Put it putting every all your past and your trauma into a box that box is going to want to burst open and again she's like no 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 that's you'll be fine you'll be fine but actually that box I've been using alcohol to numb all those feelings that are trying to escape and all of those things I should be dealing with and facing and making peace with and it just makes you more poorly every single drink it just makes you get more and more ill going back and, and processing all of that is the only way you can move forward and so have you spoken to your mum since and said to her, like, look, now that I'm a grandmother and I've got kids and I know what happened, um, this is what I've gone through, these are the traumas I've gone through, I just want to tell you, you know, daughter to mum, how you actually made me feel at that time. So something I learned myself through, like, reading and, and psychology is that closure does not come from an apology. Closure will not come from her recognising how she made me feel. Closure comes from you going... Okay, it happened, and I'm not going to let it affect me for the rest of my life. And also trying to understand the reasons why she is the way that she is. And she had her own trauma, and it's not right to turn that on to children, but I can at least try and change that with me and make sure that my children or grandchildren don't suffer. Well, that's also the most important thing as well, isn't it? That you're only in control of yourself. You can't control how others are. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly true. The reason I got into this situation in the first place and this illness is because my first mistake was thinking I couldn't put it down or that I could brush the past under the carpet. And although it's been difficult and it's, it's going to be, this is going to be a lifelong recovery. This isn't go sober for six months and then have another drink and change your tolerance. This is you are allergic to alcohol because, you know, it affects you so deeply. I just want to be well and I want to be better. And the only people that can really comprehend how you feel are other addicts. Well, this is it, and this is why it's important with podcasts like mine and books, et cetera, et cetera, is that not everyone will know someone going through it and be able yeah. to know what advice to give. So if you could give one piece of advice to those listening who don't know someone who's going through it and then they come across someone who goes, yes, I'm in recovery. Because like you said, it's something that you'll always be in. And I had a conversation with someone a couple of weeks ago who's been in recovery for 13 years. And it yeah. is that thing of, well, how do you relate to them when it's such an obscure idea that you go to this program each week and you're focusing on yourself? So what advice would you give to someone who wants to just understand what it's like for, for you to be in recovery? So not all addicts are on park benches or in gutters, but people, you know, people with addiction are giving up good parts of their life to this disease. And it is a disease. If someone had cancer or a broken leg or in any type of illness, you can comprehend it. But an illness of the mind through addiction is it is difficult to understand, and I understand that. As an addict, I understand that because I was judgmental before I suffered. I felt like, well, why can't they just stop? But it's just not like that. Your brain is... There's a voice in your head, and it's going, no, 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 this is a good idea. And you have to deal with this to learn out how to shut out that voice. And, and to, to comprehend it, I just think, look at what these people have lost. And if these people keep going back especially people after relapse, they know that they have to keep returning to these meetings to stay clean and 
to, to hear newcomers and think, I don't want to be in that position again. I want to help these newcomers by showing them the flip side. But they're helping me by me knowing that, you know, I'm helping that. It's just, it's a, it's a circle and it's a circle of, of help and closure. I just think if you knew what these people had lost, then you could comprehend that addiction ruins lives. And so on the flip side, looking at the positive aspect of that, do you think that's given you this new sense of purpose that you're now helping other people, you're helping spread awareness, you're looking after yourself more, and that you've got this purpose each week that you're going to these meetings and you've got a need, you know, you've got somewhere you have to be and you've got to turn up to it because you know mentally it's the right thing to do? Yeah, I think, you know, the messages just keep coming back, you know, even if even if you're struggling or whatever challenges you face, just keep coming back and turning up, taking the support and taking the help. I think in terms of, of recovery within that, I just think it, the, the gift is them, what they give to me. You know, I, I, I've never spoken to people that understand. And being in a, a setting where you're in recovery in a, in a programme, these people really do understand with no judgment. The most important person in the room is the newcomer. When has anyone that's fresh out of addiction or still in addiction been celebrated? When have any of them been told, well done for going to get help? Being able to use my platform and my followers to be honest, because a lot of people hide it. And you're not going to get better when you're hiding something. Well, on Instagram, it's real life of Gemma Rose. If you want to check Gemma's incredible, inspirational page out. And if you need more advice on what Gemma's spoken about, talktofrank.com is the place to go. And thank you. Thank you for listening to Screenings Care. Thank you to Gemma for opening up about her sobriety journey and giving an insight as to what it is like to be an addict, but go through that recovery process. So talk to frank.com if you want more information. You've been listening to Screenings Care with me, Johnny. So if you like Married at First Sight, that Gemma was incredible on, absolutely incredible for those two weeks. Uh, Sophie Brown from her series, Amy Christopher's from the series before, along with Charlene Douglas and Paul C. Bunsen on past episodes of Canadian Skills. Go and check them out now. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the first thing I need you to do, if you're listening on Apple iTunes, click that add button at the top. And on Spotify, click the add follow button and then go down leave a five-star rating and a review. It's so important, as Gemma keeps saying, spreading awareness, it's okay to not be okay. That's what I do here on Sakinian School. We've had 200 episodes of the podcast. We're now working towards the next 200 episodes, and I want to keep spreading that word that it's okay to not be okay, and to talk about your feelings and to share them out because someone else is suffering with the exact same problems that you've got. And I look, I wear paranoia on my sleeve. I'm so paranoid. I'm so sensitive that I've upset someone. And so why not talk about it? Because normally you've got 99 thoughts in your head and only one of them is actually true. That's how our heads work. That's why we need to keep working on our mental health. I'm Johnny Seifert. Thank you so much for listening to Sick and Insecure. Until next time, thank you and goodbye.